Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's December 14th, Electoral College Election Day, and you are listening to episode 26 of Under the Bleachers. This is the second to last new episode of Under the Bleachers this season. Next week will be our season finale, and then we will be taking a few months off from releasing new episodes, and we will return in the spring with season two. During the off months, we will be re-releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, so be sure to check those out if you missed them the first time around, and we may also release a couple of bonus episodes as well, so stay tuned. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For a discussion of all things queer, we'll discuss updates on the ban on blood donations. For our conversation on all things sports, we'll discuss high schoolers behaving badly. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll discuss the retirement of rugby referee and LGBTQ icon Nigel Owens. After that, we're going to share Team DC's conversation with two players from DC's professional rugby team, Old Glory DC. In this conversation, representatives of four area rugby clubs, all Team DC member clubs, had the opportunity to ask questions of Old Glory co-captain Threaten Palamo and player Jameson Fanana Schultz. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give you an update on Team DC. Events remain on hold because of COVID restrictions, but Team DC has added a few new social media features, including Feature Fridays, where we post about people who participate in various member clubs of Team DC and Spotlight Sundays, which feature posts about LGBTQ athletes. Make sure to follow Team DC at Team DC LGBT on Facebook and at Team DC Sports on Instagram and Twitter. And Team DC recently announced that it is now accepting applications for the 2021 Team DC College Scholarships. Team DC Student Athlete Scholarships provide up to $2,000 of financial support to offset the cost of educational expenses Scholarships are awarded to self-identified lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer LGBTQ plus student athletes who have contributed to the sport in which they participate and enhance the perception of the LGBTQ community as a result of their contributions and involvement. Scholarships are given to graduating high school seniors in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area who will attend an accredited two or four year college or university. Candidates must demonstrate dedication to both academic and athletic excellence, as well as show promise as an LGBTQ plus role model. If you're a student athlete or affiliated with an area educational institution, go to teamdc.org or email scholarships at teamdc.org for more information. Also, Team DC has partnered with Nelly Sports Bar for an initiative called Heroes for Heroes to provide free lunch to DC essential workers. December's Heroes for Heroes meals was a dinner delivered to the nurses and staff in the cardiac ICU unit at Washington Hospital Center on December 7th. The December Heroes for Heroes meal was sponsored by Team DC, Kara Bowling, DC Gay Basketball League, Lambda Links, Embody Pure Grace Fitness, and DC Strokes. If you or your organization want to participate in future Heroes for Heroes lunches, Team DC is collecting donations of $50 or more and you can contact Brent Miner at brent at teamdc.org for more details. Finally, Team DC board elections are coming up in January. The positions up for election are president, outreach, marketing, social media, fundraising, and external relations. To learn more about Team DC and its board, visit teamdc.org. And if you're interested in running, please contact Les Johnson at les at teamdc.org for more information. Next Monday will be our last new episode of season one, but episodes will continue to be released every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. 
Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic and this week's trip onto the bleachers. Okay, for my first topic about things queer, we're talking about new FDA rules on blood donation for gay and bisexual men. The Food and Drug Administration has announced that they are loosening the restrictions on blood donations from gay and bisexual men. These men can now donate blood if they haven't had a sexual encounter with another man from 12 months to three months. The restrictions on blood donations date back to the 80s during the height of the AIDS crisis. The current COVID-19 pandemic has brought massive shortages to the nation's blood supply. Many gay and bisexual men who have recovered from COVID-19 also want to donate their plasma for treatment, but are also affected by this ban. The Williams Institute published a study that said that the supply would have 1,600,000 more pints of blood a year, which would save over 1 million lives if this ban on blood donations would be lifted. New advanced testing can detect HIV and sexually transmitted disease in minutes. And advocates like GLAD President Sarah Kate Ellis are saying that this is an outdated stigma that is affecting millions of Americans. The American Red Cross has also recommended to the FDA that an update needs to be made on the current policy. So will it take a pandemic to lift the the ban on gay and bisexual blood donations? All right, Laura. So have you kept up with any of this news? Are you uh, familiar with the ban? (laughs) Well, I mean, I am familiar with the ban. I'm familiar with efforts um, here and there over the years where people have consistently asked the FDA to revisit this um, to no success. And apparently, yeah, it's a pandemic maybe is going to be the thing that changes people's mind, but this has always been such a foolish thing. I mean, I understand, obviously there was an issue in the eighties where, um, there hadn't been enough research into HIV. And so people weren't confident that they'd be able to adequately screen the blood, um, yeah. and, and catch, you know, the blood that m- might've, uh, actually been from a person who had HIV and didn't know it when they donated. Um, and so there was a real risk that if there were populations of people that were disproportionately impacted by HIV, and on top of that, the scientists weren't confident that they could screen the blood to find the HIV before they accidentally gave it to people, then there was a reason, you know, I, I, I don't want to pretend that there was never, um, a basis in science for um, the rules that the FDA imposed. I think that there actually was. Now, the reality, however, is that it's stuck around all these years just because of homophobia and stigma of gay men being dangerous or dirty or sick or whatever. Um, And it's bullshit. And how many people lives have probably been impacted by a lack of blood supply, especially people who have rare blood types or, you know, other sorts of uh, blood disorders that need a lot of blood transfusions. And there's blood shortages because the FDA is not taking uh, blood donations from gay men just because they think gay men are risky. And it's, it's crazy. You know, there's no more reason for it because now they can screen the blood immediately um, and it's not a risk. And frankly, being gay is not being a gay man does not make you inherently risky. So it's bullshit. This should be changed. It sucks that it's a pandemic that's making them, you know, look seriously at this. But if they're looking seriously at it, then I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to some of my friends. I mean, this is a 30 year old uh, ban or policy that, um, yeah, it's affected a lot of people. Like I've had some friends who've, who've actually said, Hey, I've always, you know, I've, I've given blood before. Um, and you know, I came out, started having, you know, sexual encounters is the way that the FDA calls it with other men. And they, I had one friend who said, you know what, when the, the band changed from, you know, if you ever had sex with a man and you're a man, you can't give blood at all to, um, you have to wait 12 months. I mean, I had a friend who said I waited 12 months and I gave blood because I wanted to do it. And I was like, all right, but it was, it was kind of like shitty. I had to give up. I mean, know, that's a hell of a life. sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. To give blood to save people's lives because right. that's what I wanted to do. Um, and now it's three months, uh, which is a, it's an improvement. We don't have to wait, you know, 12 months. Now it's three months. But hopefully one day it's just, you know, yes, you can give blood like. The yeah. Moment, well, like it's the like this crazy country. thing where it's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. 
I've been single and haven't had any hookups for a while. I guess I can go give blood. <laughs> like, I've been in quarantine for eight <laughs> months. Can I give blood now? So fucking ridiculous, right? But um, look, if the study says that over a million lives can be saved by getting rid of this bullshit ban, and I trust doctors that they can screen the blood now. Like they know, oh, yeah. about, they know enough about HIV at this point that there's not any risk. So it's completely ludicrous that any ban continues to be in place um, based on this alone. And it's still an outdated stigma as you know, it's just, it, it says, you know, it's gay and bisexual men or men who have sex with men. Um, but there are, you know, a bunch of other diseases that are transferred by blood that the FDA screens for anyway. So gonorrhea, syphilis, uh, there are HIV. also a lot of high risk populations that are high risk for HIV that are not just gay men. You know, there, look, there's no basis for this and people are dying. So, you know, I don't know what more it takes to like, I, I ask myself this all the time, like how, like, what can we do to make people just be a better person, right? Like, when you talk about some of these policies that are in place, and you're like, this is just harming people. And like this one, it's actually probably killing people. And yet there are people out there who just don't see this as important. And I, to me, that blows my mind. But one more thing for the pro-lifers to yell and scream about, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all well, right. Hopefully I can give blood. I'm O negative. So I mean, I would give blood all the time. But I was like, oh, I can't now. Sorry. I mean, you have to. I still get the emails, you know, from the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center and some other places. And I'm like, yeah, well, one, I don't live in Texas anymore, but two, I'm a gay man. So my blood isn't good enough. Sorry. Sorry, having tons of sex can't help you. Sorry, can't do it. It's bad gay (laughs) blood. Can't give you my blood. Sorry. Uh, My gay blood is going to stay up here. Sorry. Uh, all right. Well, let's be let's be grateful for small progress and hope for more. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, they go through some more changes. Finally, they can uplift this ban and people, you know, the gay community can help save lives. And well, maybe if we blood. get to like four, maybe if we get to like 4,000 people a day dying of COVID, then the gays will finally be good enough to <laughs> give blood. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I feel about that. So, uh, you know, moving on, what's going on in the world of sports this week? <laughs> All right, for my sports topic, I chose something a little closer to home. All right, picture it. Edinburgh, Texas, which is deep, deep, deep South Texas, December 3rd, 2020. High school football is king in Texas, and the Edinburgh Bobcats are in a contentious playoff game with the PSJA High School Bears, which is also my high school rivalry when I grew up uh, back home. Uh, So as the second quarter of the game was ending, the referees had enough of the lack of sportsmanship that caused them to throw multiple flags in the first half. 18-year-old senior Emmanuel Duran was ejected from the game after he was penalized for roughing the passer after the play was called dead and for exchanging words with the referee. As the official, 57-year-old Fred Vela was announcing the call, 225-pound Duran in full football gear ran back to the field and body slammed the referee. The incident was caught on tape and was widely shared on social media and national news. Vela was treated for head injuries and did not return to the game after the incident. Duran was escorted off the field by the police and was charged with a Class A misdemeanor and is now out on a $10,000 bond. The Edinburgh Bobcats were able to defeat the PSJ Bears 35-21, to the Texas Association of Sports Officials, and the University Interscholastic League have opened an investigation. The Edinburgh Consolidated School District has forfeited all future games and has benched the entire team for the rest of the season. Players held protests against the school board's decision but were unsuccessful. The community is torn between punishing an entire team for the actions of one player. And Texas sports fans are also questioning if students are learning to respect refs after a similar incident happened at John Jay High School in San Antonio a few years ago. All right, Laura. So I don't know if you saw this video and the craziness that's going down in Texas, but uh, what do you think? I, I mean, I did not watch the video. I can picture what this must have been like. It's terrible. This kid clearly deserves to be charged with a misdemeanor and to have um suffer consequences for this because i mean he could have paralyzed or killed this man i mean that is it's so dangerous to full speed tackle somebody when you're in full gear and like don't have a sense of what your body power is because you're covered in all these pads against just a guy who's standing there not prepared for it not expecting it you know you you know you're blindsiding the guy 
um, I mean, it's so dangerous and there certainly should be consequences. And I, you know, look, I feel for the other kids on his team because this is like a serious penalty. And a lot of them, you know, are probably good kids who would never do something like this. But I do think it's a serious enough incident that there has to be really serious consequences, not just for the player, but for the program, because, you know, the onus is on the program. The onus is on the coaches and the trainers and everybody else who teach these kids to teach them in a way that's going to make it clear to them why this is completely inappropriate and, and it can't ever happen again. So I, I think, you know, unfortunately, it sucks for the kids that get caught up in it. But for something this serious, I think this level of uh, response is, is unfortunately necessary. So, um, you know, like I said, totally sympathetic to the kids, the good kids who got caught up in it. But there has to be a revamp of this entire program. And unfortunately, you know, probably some coaches need to lose their jobs. And, you know, it's it's not I'm not saying they did anything wrong, but I think there probably has to be a message that there was something lacking in what's being taught to these kids that that one of them would do this. Yeah, because Duran, he's had he was he's a multiple or multiple. He's a multi-sport uh, athlete, and he had almost a similar uh, problem come up when he was playing soccer last year. Yeah. So this is kind of a repeated offense. Yeah, the writing was on the wall, and like it's yeah, and coaches. nothing was done. Well, that's the thing. It's on the adults. It's on the coaches. Like if they they needed to do something to send the message that this is completely unacceptable and can never happen again. If they weren't able to do that, they, it was on them to remove him from athletics. If he was just, if they were doing everything they could and he was just a bad apple and he wasn't going to behave no matter what they did, then he didn't belong on the teams. And unfortunately it's one of these things. Sometimes, you know, adults are trying to relive their glory through high school athletes and it's more important to them to win a game than to uh, help shape, you know, good men. And I mean, look, adults have responsibilities for um, turning kids into the kind of adults that they're going to be. And coaches definitely have huge impact on, I mean, I know for me, like I mm -hmm. took my coaches very seriously and probably listened to them more than like my own parents. Um, I, I certainly, you know, I had two hours of practice every day with my coaches and when, you know, we were a busy high schooler, I maybe saw my parents, you know, a little bit on the weekends, like, <laughs> like I missed dinner almost every night because I had practice and then other after school activities. So it's not like, I think I spent more time learning life lessons from coaches than any other, um, you know, adults in my life and teachers, you know, those are the people that I spent the most time with and, and learned the most lessons from in my high school years for sure. So these people have an incredibly important role to play and it, somebody didn't play the role correctly with this kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the thing that that's also like uh, alarmed a lot of people is that, I mean, he's 18, so he was charged with a felony, you know, and he went, or, uh, well, you said he was charged with a misdemeanor. Yeah. So he was charged with a misdemeanor. And I mean, a class A misdemeanor in jail. is serious. You should spend yeah, some time in jail. Yeah, he spent the night in jail. Well, you know what? Like, and again, <laughs> he could have killed this man. Exactly. So. <laughs> and so he was like, know. he was escorted off the police. They, they show him kind of like in tears and stuff. He finally, I think he realized what he did and the severity of it. And it's kind of like, yeah, you need to learn to control your actions and your anger. Look, look what happened. Yeah. I mean, look, I... Um, you know, uh, look, the criminal justice system shouldn't be about just punishing people. And we'll see how what the result of this ultimately is, whether they plead them out to a lesser offense or, um, you know, whatever it is. I, th there's no reason that this should follow this kid around for the rest of oh, his yeah. life or completely destroy his future. Yeah. That's for <laughs> sure. But serious, con serious actions like this deserve serious consequences. And so I think it's been handled correctly so far. Of course, I don't want to see this kid spend you know, a lot of time in jail for not, you know, I mean, he's an 18 year old kid. The best thing you can do is teach him a lesson and get him back out into society to let him do good things. Um, yeah. And we don't want to tag him with some kind of cr like terrible criminal record that's going to follow him for the rest of his life either. So I, I, I mean, we're going to have to trust that the whoever, you know, the prosecutors, the DA and wherever he is in Texas will handle this in a way that's not going to like ruin his life forever, but is going to send a message that this kind of action has serious consequences. I mean, it also sends a message to the teams and to the aspect of like, you're one team, you're one group. So yeah, whatever one of your 
players does, it's going to affect the entire team. Yeah, that's right. And that's what I was saying before. It's like, it's not that I don't feel bad for the good kids, but at the end of the day, this, team. Is, this is a serious enough issue that it needs to be at the program level. It's not, it can't just be about like punishing each kid as these things come up because the goal is to have this never happen again. And, oh yeah, you know, the way you do that is have the consequences on the program as a whole. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, the coaches at the very least need to have some mandatory training on how they, how they should be teaching these kids to be better citizens, if not lose their jobs. Because I put a lot of the responsibility for things like this on the coaches. No, oh, yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the Valley with Valley football. Once again, <laughs> I'm real disappointed in Texas. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> we tried. We're trying. All right. Well, moving on. What do you got at the intersection of sports and queer? All right. For this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about the international retirement a rugby referee legend, Nigel Owens. Owens began refereeing at age 16 in Wales and refereed his first international match in 2003. He's currently one of five referees in the world at the Pro 14 level. He was the first rugby union referee to control 100 test matches, aka international matches. Owens became a household name after refereeing the 2015 Rugby World Cup final and several European club finals. Welsh rugby union chairman Bob Butcher described Owens as a role model. Quote, not only for his refereeing, but his communication and the way he conducts all aspects of his life. Nigel Owens came out as gay in 2007 and has used his career and story to advocate for LGBTQ issues. Nigel has shared his own coming out story and how he dealt with mental health issues, bulimia, and an attempted suicide. If you need to listen to an inspiring conversation, listen to his lecture at the Cardiff Metropolitan University on YouTube. Owen said even though he's taking a break from the international scene, he'll still referee Pro 14 matches and local matches in Wales. Nigel Owens is an icon for the LGBTQ community and for sports in general. All right, Laura, so how did you feel about the news about uh, one of our oh, favorite refs? So bummed. Favorite sirs. Uh, so bummed. Um, but good for Nigel. I mean, the guy is everywhere. I feel like he is referees every major international match. So he's probably been on the road consistently um, and working harder than a lot of other people for years. So he certainly deserves to uh, take the time off and, you know, do whatever else it is that he wants to do with his life. But what a bummer. I mean, he is honestly such a class act and not only a phenomenal referee, but hilarious to boot. Like he's yeah. all, just so entertaining when he's on the pitch. Like you can trust him to not miss any major calls, but you can also trust him to have a couple of like quirky, funny moments to add a little levity, levity to the match. And the thing about Nigel Owens that really stands out to me is you can see just as like watching a match on television, you can tell the level of great relationships that he has with these high level international players. Um, I mean, he talks to them, he knows them as people, they interact with him. They clearly respect him and take him seriously. And, you know, they take cues from him and he clearly has worked really hard to build relationships with the rugby community and, um, you know, I think this is a real loss for international rugby. He's going to be really missed out there, but congratulations to him because he's an awesome guy and he deserves to uh, enjoy, you know, some more free time in his life. Yeah. A lot of the interviews he was saying, I mean, he's retiring at the, the rival age of 49. I don't imagine. I hope <laughs> I can retire. I want to retire at 49. That's awesome. Something to aspire to. <laughs> But he's talking about like, yeah, but, you know, he's always traveling internationally and doing all these things for the rugby community that he's kind of missing out on some of the home life and kind of misses um, just being at home and missing some of the, the major events in his life and stuff. So and he's also uh, he, he knows that it's time for a new group of referees to step it up and get trained and be on the international um, circuit as well. So it's kind of like a win win for everyone. If you listen to him talk or if you, you know, he. He, he's out there. He's a public figure. You can look up and hear some of his talk and stuff. And you can tell, I mean, he passionately loves rugby and the rugby community. And I 
sincerely believe that he will be very engaged in rugby at the highest levels and bringing up another generation of excellent referees. I'm sure he will work with youth, bringing up, you know, youth rugby players and things like that. So this is not by any stretch of the imagination, the last that the rugby world has seen of Nigel Owens. Um, I mean, his coming out story is amazing. Like if you hear the stories of like all the stuff that he went through, I mean, it's, and he advocates for people asking for help. If you if you feel bad or depressed or something, you know, talk to someone. And yeah. he's strong about that. You know, just you know, and and also, you know, for parents to say, hey, you notice that your child is acting differently, um, talk to them. And say, yeah. hey, what's going on? What's wrong? Look for these signs, and you know, to have a conversation. And yeah, no, he's honestly, I've heard him speak a bunch of times. He is a a role model for the LGBT community. He's a role model for the rugby world. He's he's just an all around great man who has devoted, you know, a lot of his life to helping other people and to yeah. and he reveals a lot of very personal things that he doesn't have to reveal, but does it because he hopes that they will help other people have a better life. And what a great fucking guy that is right like that's the kind of person i want to be that's the kind of people i want to surround myself with so man i i I love nigel owens i'll miss uh seeing him referee the world cup for sure uh but like i said great for him and i can't wait to see what he does next yep three cheers for nigel owens all right all right that's this week's under the bleachers roundup of things queer things sports and things at the intersection of sports and queer we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to share Team DC's interview with two players from DC's professional rugby team, Old Glory DC. Hi, everybody. This is Laura from Team DC. Um, I am here with the newest partner of Team DC for our Pride Night Out series, Old Glory DC. They're the area's new Major League Rugby club. We are excited to be able to bring you a conversation between Old Glory and some representatives of four area rugby clubs that are members of Team DC. We're excited to have Andrea Corey here to lead the conversation. Andrea is a former member, player, and coach of the DC Furies. She is a lifetime Fury. She was honored with that from her club in recognition of her many years of service. She is a former women's rugby national team player and also the former commissioner of the WPL. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dre. Excellent. Thank you very much, Laura, for that introduction. Um, And I just want to say thanks to Team DC for hosting this interactive panel with Washington DC's own pro rugby team, Old Glory. We are super excited to have you guys here. Thank you so much. And um, I also want to thank Old Glory for continuing to be a part of this Pride celebration. Um, And also thanks to all of the local teams who are here on this panel for participating um, and engaging in questions with uh, Team DC and Old Glory. So now turning to our um, distinguished players. Um, Jameson is an eight-man and flanker. He was originally from Brisbane, Australia. Jameson joined Old Glory for the 2020 season uh, while attending the University of Queensland. Uh, the experienced Lock and Eight, he was invited to attend the prestigious International Rugby Academy in New Zealand. Um, and while I was there, Jameson joined uh, Super Rugby's New South Wales Waratahs. Um, that's where he started his professional career. Um, he's also made multiple appearances for the U.S. national team. So thanks for joining us, Jameson. Um, we also have Threaten. Um, he plays center. He's from Woodland, California. Um, while in high school, he played for Samoa's under-19s from 2005 to, to, to 2007. He also played sevens for Samoa, and that's um, – incidentally, where his father was born. Um, From 2007-2008, he made five appearances for the USA under-20s. He was selected for the 2007 Rugby World Cup, which, very cool, this made him the youngest player to play in a Rugby World Cup, and that was at the age of 19. Um, He also played in the 2015 Rugby World Cup. He has made 17 uh, national team appearances since then. He 
He has started 13 times. Um, again, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. We appreciate it. Um, okay, so I would like to get right into the discussion. So, Threaten and Jameson, we would like to get to know you guys a little bit better. Um, so can you uh, each tell us um, when and how did you first get involved with rugby? Um, yeah, I'll start off. Um, well, rugby is, you know, coming from an island of family, Pacific Nations. Um, it's like one of the, the main sports, if not the national sport of the Pacific Islands. So from a young age, you know, even from, I think I was, from when I can remember, I think I was four years old when I was first touched the rugby ball. And from then on, I just fell in love with the sport, um, the values rugby holds, um, you know, the inclusiveness, um, the, the, social, the social aspect of that as well. And just seeing everyone smile around the field is, you know, the most important thing is enjoying, enjoying what you're doing. And that's, that's what I love doing. And that's what I love about rugby. <laughs> um, I got into the sport pretty early. My father and both my brothers played. Uh, I was just kind of a water boy. I didn't really know what was going on at first, but <laughs> I think just as more, the more time went, I, I started to learn the rules. Um, I was definitely that kid in, in elementary school who tried to get recruit everybody from football and basketball and baseball and try to start a team. Uh, back then, there was no youth rugby at all. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, just seeing what the sport does, how it brings people together, I, I thought that was pretty special growing up um, as I observed the game. That's definitely what got me into the game at first. And then I learned to love the game and its skill sets uh, as I got older. Excellent. Cool. So if you could give um, any advice, so, so you kind of talked about sort of why you guys got into it. If you had any advice for young players about if they have aspirations of playing pro or getting to their respective national teams, what do you think you would tell them? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, rugby, especially, you don't even have to be professional, but it takes you around the world. And you get to learn about different cultures, different people, you know, and the most important is the food. You get to try different foods around the world. So, um, <laughs> you know, um, rugby takes you around the whole world. And that's the most important thing about um, the rugby aspect is that everyone in the world has either seen or heard about rugby. And that's what's cool about it is that no matter where you're from or what, like where, whatever little country is, is around they they've seen the rugby ball they're like oh is it is it football or snow pads or something like that you know it's, it's funny right. everyone compares it to that but that's the cool thing about rugby i i think hey cool for me if i were to help out or if i were to give any advice it'd probably be more of um just self-confidence there's so much that plays onto that uh everyone has their limits everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and i think a lot of people start to they start to have self-doubt because they focus too much on their weaknesses. Uh, but I've, I've played professionally. I've seen guys that are unreal, like how most, uh, most athletic people I've ever come across. I've just seen the most average person beat them out in positions just because they, they were more professional going to it, uh, going, approaching the way they, they played the game. Um, but just seeing how you can, anybody can play this game, you just have to believe in yourself, believe in your strength back yourself and just consistently do it day in day out you, you can you can get there cool excellent thank you um okay so i don't want to monopolize all of the questions so i'm gonna have um the team reps ask um some questions so we're gonna sort of do a ask one question from each team and then we'll go back around again and you guys can ask um another follow-up question if, if you like so um sam from the furies can you kick us off yeah, of course. Uh, so one of the questions we had is, who is your favorite coach and why were they your favorite coach? I'll go first. Um, okay, go on. Uh, <laughs> I think my favorite coach was my dad. <laughs> one, because he let me play. <laughs> I got to play in all the games. But uh, two, I think it kind of goes back on my um, original, on our original question was just, uh, obviously your parents are there to support you and give you that confidence that you need. And um no matter how crazy I thought my moves were or whatever, he, he definitely supported it. Like nothing I had done was wrong. And he gave me that alley of create, creativeness and um, just believing uh, believing in yourself and just going 100% and what you do. Yeah, that's, that's probably a cop-out, but that is my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, you stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, so mine's quite similar, but it was actually my mum. So um, the first time I learned, learned how to tackle was through my mum. I didn't do the dishes and she tackled me in the kitchen. So um, <laughs> I'm joking, but, <laughs> but um, no, uh, my mum has helped me a lot throughout my game. You know, she's taught me um, not only skill sets, but, you know, life skills off the field, which is the most important part. You know, rugby isn't all about just um, how big you are or how strong you are on the field. You know, it goes to show how much you are as a person off the field, you know, with either the community or coaches and your friends and families. And that's the big thing about that rugby upholds and the values of that is family, friendships and, you know, inclusivity. So I think, you know, I got to thank my mum for where I am today. You know, same with Threaden, you know, come from a big island families, you know, mums always hold it down. You know, so it's always she always holds a special part, you know, in our lives and where we are today. Excellent, excellent. That's so great that that it's a family sport. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna turn now, um, Caitlin from the Revolution. Do you wanna ask your questions? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of our team's core values is inclusion, uh, which applies not just to our queer players, but also to all trans players who want to play with us. And we just touched on Old Glory's connection to the LGBT community, uh, why that's important to you guys. But we'd love to go a bit deeper into why you think it's important for rugby to set a standard of inclusion. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's huge. Um, I think we all understand that rugby is a melting pot, melting pot of cultures. And uh, as far as professionals, we're not only learning this game when we're out traveling overseas, but we're learning about other people. We're learning, we get new friendships, new, we understand new ways of life. And I mean, who are we to say, you know, no one else can play this game unless you, unless you actually bring them in, understand their cultures, understand every, you know, everyone else's ways of living. So I, I, I don't see why, why we couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, it's just when we first begin playing rugby, you know, you're given like a, a code of conduct to go, go by. But I think the one thing when I was a kid growing up, the one thing that stood out was um, this quote that my old coach told me was, fear none, respect all. You know, it goes to show with the rugby and in life as well that you would, you would fear no one on the, on the pitch, but off the field, you respect them no matter where we are. Like even now, you, you would tackle and smash somebody on the field for 80 minutes, but after the game, you would have a beer with them. You know, so I, that's just the, it's funny how rugby, Rugby works that way, you know. You're, you're you're paid to smash somebody else, but can still enjoy each other's time after the game. That's that's the really cool thing about rugby. And I, I don't think other sports um, like do that kind of style and they have that kind of culture, which I think rugby is very special in the, in this world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We are ruggers are uniquely situated, I think, for that kind of inclusion because exactly, James, and what you're talking about, we can play rugby and then have a beer with each other afterwards. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, let's turn to Ned from the Renegades. Thank you. I was just going to ask for either a Threaten or Jameson or both. Um, how has your experience in DC here been uh, different to what you expected or, or has it been what you expected? Um, I think I knew, I knew DC had a pretty good following in rugby. Um, but what I thought was really special was when we went and played those games, our home games, the amount of teams that came in their own colors and showed the sport, I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was amazing. I thought everybody showed, like, uh, what DC is all about. Because a lot of the teams right now are struggling with um, their clubs. Some people just have their own pride, and they, and they don't want to help. They don't want to participate. But I just think, I think that also speaks volumes with, uh, with our front office as well, how they've been able to include so many different people and you just kind of see how that love comes back to our games because this is coming from us. When we play other teams, um, they're shocked. No one can believe the amount of, like, our fan base, how strong it is, and the people that come to the games and how loud we are. The Seattle, the Seattle group was telling me they've never um, – they now know what it's like to play against people in Seattle because our fan base matches the same kind of level of intensity. So, yeah, that, that, that caught me off guard, which is really awesome. Yeah, it also comes down to, you know, when Old Glory was first first made or founded, you know, they wanted to make it like to bring a team in that not were only good at rugby, but had the values that, you know, that represented the emblem well. And that's why Andrew and the owners 
uh, Chris and Paul, you know, and as well as John Manson from Scotland Rugby, um, they've they've brought in special special players to represent the the city of DC and you know the country of United States of America, and it just goes to show everyone in the team like there wasn't any any conflicts or conflicts of interest or any battles between each other. We all understood where we came from. We had people from um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, from Samoa, you know, <laughs> little islands. And, you know, it's, it's cool when they all come together into a, a team and you're going, on, going onto that field and there's everyone from a different country, different backgrounds, you know, and seeing the end results after the 80 minutes, you know, it just goes to show. And the, the, the community loved it and we could tell that. And that's what we're doing it for as well as, you know, for the people, not just for us, we want to help out everywhere we can. So, you know, thank you for having us, DC. <laughs> <laughs> and on behalf of the community of DC, we thank you guys because it's been definitely an enjoyable um, experience. Um, okay, I'm going to turn it to Rashad from The Scandals. Hey again, guys. So my question is, uh, what qualities make a good teammate um, a good team captain? Well, I'll take this question because he's our captain. <laughs> well, obviously, it's not the looks because, you know. <laughs> nice. That's a humor, too. <laughs> no, I think the first one has to be respect. You know, um, we all know Fred and Palamo. You know, he's a legend in the USA rugby environment and, you know, world rugby. You know, he was one of the youngest ever in the world to rep represent a country in the World Cup. Uh, he's been to three World Cups. Um, you know, he has long hair, so everyone recognizes that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the main, the, the three main values is definitely you have to respect, the respect has to be mutual between um, the, the captain himself and the players. It has to be mutual respect, not just one leader on the field. You know, he has to be able to listen to all voices throughout the team, which is what makes Old Glory so so strong and has a, has a great core of foundation. I mean, the second one has to be, it definitely has to be, has, has to have a sense of humor. You know, rugby isn't always a serious sport. You know, we have to have fun. You have to enjoy yourself. And if the captain, the leader on the field can't enjoy himself, then how, how are we meant to do that? So I think that, that's what Dredden holds, Dredden Palamo and um, Mungo Mason, which is our co-captain. And I think the third one has to be fearless. And I think that's what they both show on the field. And, you know, when we see our captain doing upholding that you know that the fearless attribute on the field that's what makes us you know want to follow him and i think that's the, the three main attributes a, a captain should uphold excellent threaten do you want to say anything about what you would think as a good captain just be me really <laughs> uh, no no um no i think i think he's kind of he's hit it on the nail i mean because I'm a co-captain, I can kind of see it from uh, our other captain's side of view. Um, just because you're named captain doesn't mean you have to change the way you are. You, you were picked for those exact reasons for who you were. So you don't need to do extra. You don't need to do any more than what you are. That's why you are captain. If anything, what you do is you help bring the voice from the players to the staff and vice versa. You, you're almost a vessel, in, of, if anything. It's how I've taken it, and it's how I've seen Mungo do it. And um, Mungo's definitely very inspirational on the field. Um, you definitely have to be someone who can back himself when they're talking. And when I see Mungo out there making all sorts of stats, tackling, contact, rucks, it's, um, it's something I'd like to follow. Um, so we have time for a few more questions. Um, so I'm going to come back around. Um, Sam, do you want to follow up with some questions? Yeah, so as you all are aware, it's definitely a trying time in our world. Um, and athletes are uniquely positioned to have impact and direct impact on the situations going on. Our question is, do you think that professional athletes have a duty to weigh in on social situations? Uh, I think before I can answer that, I think, I think something that we all need to do, uh, athletes and people included, is be more aware of what's going on um rather than there's so much stuff that's just being unfiltered that, that's just coming through at all sorts of outlets um do your own homework i i, I know that's hard harder to do than just, you know we said because 
so many different lies are out there. You have to do so much research to actually figure out what's going on. Um, with that, then, then I think you should use your platform, um, you know, to express your opinion. Everyone's open to their own opinion. But before you make any opinion, I definitely think you, you know, do your homework on what you're doing. Because I've, I've seen some people out there, I'm just like, seems like you just kind of read one side and you haven't really seen but from both sides. So that's, that's, where I, that's my take on that, yeah. Yeah, I think as professional athletes, you know, it's our job isn't just to play and represent our team. It's also to represent who we stand for. And I think rugby stands for not just ourselves and our team, but it's everybody, um, for everyone from all, all walks across the world, you know, um, black, white, yellow, green, orange, you know, everybody. And it's, that's, that's what rugby needs to, rugby players, I think, need to do, especially with those social media um, platforms, you know, it's just to spread awareness of, of equality, you know, in, in sports. And I think rugby does, does uphold that. You know, we have um, one of the most famous um, in rugby, uh, a referee, uh, Nigel Owens, who was openly gay. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he came out, I think, uh, maybe, I think about five years ago now. But he, he's one of the most well-known referees in the whole world. And, you know, he's, and it's interesting to see because after that, a lot of players, professional active players have come out after that. So I think spreading the awareness of, you know, the equality in rugby and just the inclusiveness of rugby is, is the important part that us as athletes can do to help everyone be aware. Um, so, uh, Caitlin, do you have um, some other questions? Yes. So it was so fitting that Sam asked that question because our next question was actually specifically about your uh, support of Black Lives Matter on social media. Uh, but since we have already covered that, I'll go ahead to our next question, uh, which is that we are very excited, of course, to see men's professional rugby growing in the U.S. And we're also hoping that a women's professional league would develop soon. So what do you think male professional athletes should do to promote women's sports, including supporting a future women's rugby league? Yeah, I mean, as a player, how we could help out. Um, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but from what I my, my brother coaches the women's team and has been doing it for a very long time with the style on rugby. And uh, whenever I can, I, I try and go out there and support the women's game because I think it's very important, especially if we want the game to grow. Um, like Paul had said, we need the other half of the human race to, to start playing this game, you know, and increase them as well. Um, so we, everyone can experience the sport that we all love to play. Um, but as far as um, where I feel like my options are at this moment, I, I can only use my platform to, to teach kids uh, in a fun way, not necessarily exactly how the game is played, but, you know, um, introduce some kind of games where you can get those kids who've never even seen a rugby ball uh, before, get them to laugh, hopefully get them uh, a little more intrigued. And then um, I think what we need to do on our part is find more programs uh, that we can help give guide these kids, give them somewhat of a blueprint like oh did you like this game well if you had noticed there's a there's a high school or there's an elementary school that's just down the road that has a club and um i'd say maybe if we had more of a blueprint of all of our youth and, and we can start ground up as far as me i mean i have no money to change this whole problem of myself but um i could try and help motivate and inspire younger kids men boys and girls to um, fall in love with the game like i did excellent um all right, and Rashad from the Scandals. Yep, one last question. Uh, what motivates you the most about your profession as being an athlete? What's your biggest motivator? Um, the motivator definitely has to be, um, you know, representing not only your, the emblem on your crest, or on your chest, but also your family. You know, m making them happy and watching them on the side all from, like, a TV stream, you know, I always love getting the message after the game, you know, part of you, son, or um, stuff like that, you know, from mum and dad. That's always a big eye-opener, especially for me, a motivator for me during games is, you know, making them happy, you know, making them um, understand, you know, I'm traveling the world, helping support them, and, you know, giving them uh, something fun to do on the weekend, you know, besides um, going out and just having a dinner dates with them too. So, you know, it's good it's good to have them, you know, always in the back of your mind while you're playing rugby and on that field, smashing other people, you know, the parents are always watching. So 
you know, to keep you on the on the good track. <laughs> uh, mine is just just competition, really, just to compete. Uh, that keeps me motivated for the most part. It keeps me ticking. Uh, see if I still got it. See if I can still uh, <laughs> compete with guys that are getting younger and younger. Because I'm getting older and older. And um, <laughs> and it's it's, 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 um, it's just uh, it's it's exciting now because now you find new ways of how to manipulate a team. Whether it's not just pure talent, uh, just on your youth, this guy, but. Uh, you can find different ways of how to play the game. And I think that's another reason why I like the game so much. There's so many different ways of playing this game. Uh, you just got to find a way that works for you and your team. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, excellent. Okay. Well, thanks to everyone for your great questions. Um, really, really thorough discussion. Um, and of course, thanks to Team DC for this opportunity. Um, and of course, all of the work that Team DC does in this uh, community. And um, thanks to all of the local teams um, for participating. And Threaten and Jameson, thanks for sharing your day with us and your <laughs> insights. And we look forward to an amazing 2021 season. And I encourage everyone yeah. listening to join me in getting season tickets and supporting O Glory. Um, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> Well, on behalf of Team DC, I just want to say thank you. I'm already a season ticket holder as well, so you don't have to push me. But um, thanks to all of you for uh, for joining us. This has definitely meant a lot um, to everyone, and we really look forward to being able to celebrate Pride Night out with you next year. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting under the bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC. 